0: Welcome to Mints On Air and Client Corner, perspectives from founders, financiers, and friends. I am Josh Fox. In each episode of this podcast, I will be joined by an entrepreneur, an investor, or a member of the startup community. My guests will share their experiences in starting and running a business, investing in a business, and helping to support a business. I hope that my conversations with my friends will provide valuable advice to you, help those of you who are building a business to make it successful, and inspire those of you who are thinking about starting a new venture. I am excited that today, for the first time, I have two guests appearing on the same show. And I'm excited that these guests today are Scott Kellogg and Skip Farina. Scott is the Chief Executive Officer of Suono Bio, and Skip is the Chief Operating Officer of Suono Bio. Scott and Skip, welcome to the show. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Scott and Skip, we've been working together for about three years now in Suono Bio. What is the mission of Suono?
1: Sure, Josh. Suono so Bio, we really aim to be the preeminent provider of oral therapeutics. So we've licensed this incredible technology out of Bob Langer at Geotraversio's lab at MIT where it really allows us to deliver in a formulation agnostic manner, you know, peptides and proteins and biologics and genetics, and we'll do that orally. So we're really excited to sort of advance that technology here at our labs. And at what
0: stage in the corporate life cycle is the company?
1: Yeah. So we've already taken the first embodiment of, of the MIT tech actually into a first in human trial. So now we're you know, we're basically, we've shown safety and tolerability of that technology. And we're really now focusing on the development of our ingestible form factor. Could you share more about next steps for the business? Sure. I mean, our immediate next step is, is to close additional funding to advance what's called RoboCAP into the clinic for oral delivery. And our first application will be you know, semaglutide for that. So we're also you know actively looking for uh, pharmaceutical partners. Uh, as I mentioned, the technology is a bit formulation agnostic. So we can put essentially, you know, any API active pharmaceutical ingredient in the robo cap, and you know, potentially deliver it orally. And Scott, you mentioned the
0: upcoming fundraising. Could you share with the audience what fundraising Suono has completed to date?
1: Sure. Back in July 2021, we closed an oversubscribed eight and a half million dollar round that was led by Axel Capital and Taiwania. Additionally, we had two strategic investors that came in prior to that, and that was Fujifilm and NGK NTK.
0: Each of you has over 30 years of experience in the life sciences industry. What's your perspective on the current state of that industry, and specifically the medical device space? Given that's where Suono focuses.
2: Well, I think currently the uh, most difficult part has been, you know, satisfying all our masters uh it used to be in the 90s you'd create a new device it'd be a nice gadget somebody would buy it and then you could start manufacturing it now before you bring anything to market it needs to save the payer some money has to save the surgeon or the md some time you need to provide a good margin show profitability and it's it's made the
0: task a lot more difficult than it was
2: you know 30 years ago
0: and skip that's really interesting to hear that perspective what do you think accounts for those significant changes over time
2: uh, I think uh, there probably was a gold rush back in the 90s of a lot of stuff just getting manufactured, shipped out there, and it was very expensive. Institutions were flush with cash, they were buying it, and then uh, you know, all it takes is one recession and everybody smartens up, and they see how they have all this capital equipment, and all this excess inventory in the uh, storage rooms, and they don't know what to do
0: with it. So they've gotten a lot smarter, just like everybody else. That makes sense. Looking back over the years that you've been building Suono, what has surprised you most about the process of building a business?
1: Uh, you know, I would say that, you know, Somano Bio is actually my seventh startup. So I've done quite a few of these. And that's always seriously what I gravitate to. I like the excitement of a startup and the ability to, to do many different things. And what's really surprised me is really the amount of time I spend uh, fundraising. So, I mean, that essentially is the, the lion's share of my effort is just, you know, working BD for collaborations and then and raising money. And, you know, I I miss a lot of the other fun stuff, you know, clinical operations, the R&D, the regulatory, and the intellectual property. But um, I'm really preoccupied with
0: fundraising. And Scott, that's interesting to hear that you spend that amount of time on the the transaction side trying to raise capital. Skip, does that mean that you are essentially filling in the gaps at the leadership level?
2: Yeah, that's that's pretty much how we came about this partnership here is that, you know, we've been working together for 30 years on and off a bunch of startups. And uh, we kind of knew that, you know, there's going to be a lot of fundraising activity. So I would be, you know, running the business. So for, for me, it's, you know, making sure the accounting function's working, making sure we've got, you know, operationally everything's working, the facilities all set, you know, getting our animal trials up and going, get, making sure all the approvals are set up going through, you know, the engineering group, making sure that they're comfortable with what they're working on, they're focusing. And I think that the takeaway for me is it's it's hard. It's one thing, you know, when you're working in a startup and you have your area of domain and you're just, you know, cranking away at it. But when you're keeping tabs on everything and Scott and I having to check in every day, like, okay, did we check every box? Everything all set, are we good? And moving forward,
0: it's, it's a lot of work. It, it really surprised me and that is one of the things that i've consistently heard from founders and entrepreneurs in working with startup companies because the organization is smaller it essentially requires each member of the management team to do more you have more hats to wear more responsibilities that you might not otherwise have in a lar- larger organization is that how you feel on a day-to-day basis
1: yeah there's no such thing as sort of you know functional domain expertise in a startup you got to be versatile, flexible. We have to know how to run all aspects of this business. Yeah, and we've done it without the CFO.
2: We've done it with, you know, leveraging our business outreach, things like that. We've got a lot of great folks that we lean on heavily that we have worked with in the past, and they help us quite a bit in, uh, you know, getting our jobs done. But for Scott and I, everything for
0: the business is is run between the two of us. And I hear so far in our conversation today that the challenges include fundraising, and managing the entire organization in a limited amount of time, the two of you have a lot to do, what would you say are the most rewarding aspects of your jobs?
1: Oh, that's that's easy, Josh. It's, I mean, this, is, this is why at least I, and we love what we do. It's you know, basically saying taking something out of the lab, an early concept, and then translating it actually to a product, and then evaluating it in the animals, and taking it into humans, and then ultimately getting it through the FDA. Then having a commercial success. I mean, you know, like a lot of life science startups, we, we've had some really big commercial successes and we've had some ones that aren't so great, but it's that process that's just such an exciting journey.
2: Yeah, I have to agree, Scott. It's, it's been a lot of fun watching the team. Basically, when we started this, I think Scott mentioned we were oversubscribed in our, our, our first round and we, we were asked what we were going to do with the extra money. And, you know, just off the cuff, I, I said, yeah, we'll, we'll be first in human, then we'll, we'll push forward for that. And, you know, there was a gasp, you know, it's like, wow, it's a big ask, Skip. <laughs> I said, put marble in the lobby.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly. Yeah. The Italian cappuccino machine was put on hold. Uh, <laughs> but we, we did the first in human and, you know, we're sweating our way through animal labs and uh, product revisions and trying to get something to work. And, you know, there we are, a couple of days before christmas last year and uh, we're in the clinical site and we're you know treating a patient with uh, with ultrasound and boom we went overnight into a clinical stage company and that you know unfortunately i, I was there alone and i was just you know there's no one to high five or anybody but i walked back to the hotel and it was great it's like yeah this is why it's what scott said this
0: is why we do this this is so much fun and it's great to hear each of you say that. I also, unlike the audience, can actually see the positive energy that comes from both of you and the body language, the excitement when you talk about that in answering that question. So it's great to hear and great to see for me. Shifting back to challenges for a second, how would you describe the challenges change over time as you're building the business? and In particular, how has it changed over time for Suono?
1: I think the biggest mistake that a lot of you know, CEOs make or startup CEOs make is that they don't, don't assume that because something works in the lab, it's going to translate to animals. Don't assume because it works in animals, it's going to translate to humans. I'm just going to say this, put this out there, it never works. So you got to figure out how to make it work. So, and that's just you know, an incredible challenge. And that's also, you know, if, you, if you like challenges, that's why a life science startup is so cool because uh, just assume you're going to have to you know, figure out how to make it work. It's not going to come to you, you know, from much as we love MIT. It's not going to come from MIT all wrapped up ball on it, ready to be sold.
2: You know, that carries over to, you know, even the employees you hire and your staff and just keeping morale up. It's so easy to have, you know, everyone's going to have one failure, two failure, but, you know, you get four or five failures in a row in the lab. If you don't have folks that are just committed to, you know, having fun and just trying everything, you know, it's, it doesn't take a long time for people to get into a tailspin. And, you know, as Scott said, you know, we go into this knowing nothing's ever going to work, and everything
1: that does work is totally on the upside. And that's why we need people who are just you know incredibly flexible. So yeah, I mean yeah, you have to have people with domain knowledge in the company, but I mean I'd rather have you know someone who's an engineer who can who can you know who's a mechanical engineer who can look at electronics, who can write software, and then you know can you know can actually go do an animal surgery. So I mean that's the kind of flexibility we look for. That makes sense. What advice do you
0: have for others related to building a business?
1: You know, I think in this environment, you know, when you're fundraising, I mean, historically, we would always, you know, take enough money in the fundraise to execute the plan, you know, leave some buffer in case, more in case when there are hiccups. But I think, you know, I would just take, you know, more money, more dilution now, preserve right away. That's good advice. Skip, do you have any different advice? Yeah, for
2: me, it's, it's making sure you, you have the right staff, you have good advisors, good folks you can bounce things off of because I don't care how smart you are, how good you are. You know, everybody has their blind side. So, you know, for us and for advice, it's just like lean on your attorneys, lean on your accountants, lean on your staff, lean on everybody and,
0: you know, take their advice and, you know, run with it. Scott, I'd now like to ask a couple of questions as CEO. We talked about the fact that what takes up most of your time is working on fundraising and other corporate business development transactions. What would you describe as the biggest item other than having enough capital to run the business? What would you describe as the thing that most keeps you up at night? What do you worry about most?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think... You know, there's always scientific risk and translation of technology risk. Those types of problems, with enough time, money, the right people, you can figure those out. So, what keeps me up at night are things that are sort of you know beyond my control, things that are frustrating. When I cannot, you know, force a a venture capitalist to come in and lead lead around, I just can't do it. Now, I can give a very compelling argument why they should invest in the company because there's there's an opportunity here to create a lot of value. But I think it's just it's just you know being frustrated awake at night, yes, but also you know, b- being able to let go and to say that some things are, are not within my control. And what
0: advice would you have for somebody who's never been a CEO before, but is going to become one?
1: It kind of goes to what Skip just talked about a few minutes ago. It's really active listening and be flexible. Really you know, listen to the people who, you, who, are, who are surrounding you. you. Presumably you hired them, so if they're capable, they're going to give you good advice. And it doesn't mean that every decision is sort of consensus-based. I mean, because it is, you know, the leadership's job, you know, to basically make decisions. But, you know, what people have buy into what they're doing, you know, it goes back to even like my early days as a product development engineer. So like never like articulate a plan for the development team, you know, let them do the planning themselves. So they buy into it and they have ownership for it. Skip, shifting
0: to you as COO, what keeps you up at night? What do you worry about most?
2: My biggest fear is losing uh, a key employee. And when you're doing a startup, there's not a lot of overlap, there's, there are no redundancies whatsoever, and everyone's wearing multiple hats. So that, you know, my biggest fear is someone comes in and they just say, Skip, I'm sorry, you know, I got, you know, $10,000 more to go work for company X and I, I want to go to a bigger company with better, you know, job security, things like that. That that always concerns me. That, that's what will keep me up because I know... You're not going to just find somebody, you know, a couple of days. You just can't call a recruiter and get, you know, that candidate back at the doorstep. It takes a while and then it takes months and months of, you know, getting them acclimated to what we're doing. And then you're going to find out that whether or not they have the stomach
0: to do it. Scott, in your answer to your question about what. You worry most about. You talked about things that are outside of your control. One of which is whether an investor will actually choose to invest or not. Could you talk about what you believe are the keys to successfully pitching a company to investors?
1: Sure, sure. So I think you know, obviously, your presentation and your your pitch has to have a you know a clear vision for what you're doing, and then a clear plan. You want to be able to show that along basically what's going to cost to get the different value inflections in that plan, right? So And then ultimately, an investor is going to want to know how they're going to get, you know, their, get paid back. So they want to know, you know, is it going to be an IPO? Is it going to be an acquisition? I mean, so many you know, life science companies just sort of sat out there for so many years that you know, the investors, some of the companies that I'm familiar with, have 10 years worth of investment in it with no exit. That's not a great pitch for an investor. So you have to have the liquidity events essentially. And, and then also what I should say, Josh, I should have said this first, but it goes without saying, it's the team too. So the team and the advisors, that's number one in the decision. You need to pull together just, you know, first-in-class team, first-in-class advisors. And Skip and I, we've, we've learned that over the, over the years from, uh, from doing multiple startups, but it's just, it's just super important to get top, top advisors.
2: I think what's key is that, you know, we're basically, we're not just pitching an idea because that idea, uh, you know, it appears on some universities' patent list. You know, this is, we have this idea. We have the team that can pull it together. Look at our history. We have success doing this over the years. We have a vision of how we want to do this. And we have a pretty well detailed budget and timeline with inflection points where you'll see, you know, we'll meet all these milestones at certain times along our life in the next couple of years. And that entire package. Has to sell them. You know, it's not just one thing. It's not just a spiffy pitch deck. It's not that you are the expert in that technology or something. It, it all has to come together. And, you know, I think the investors basically want to be dealing with humans at the end. They want to see that you're having fun. They want to see that,
0: you know, you're just not all work, that there's a life to this organization. And Skip, you just talked about selling to investors. I always think of the Pitch process is a dual interview where both parties have to sell themselves to each other. When you are talking to investors, what does it take for them to sell themselves to you? What attracts you to a particular investor compared to other investors?
2: I want to make sure that they're just not listening and looking at the deck and looking at the projections and the stuff. I want them to ask good questions. I want them to almost be engaged with our pitch and our technology and you know ask some questions so they can learn more about it. A PowerPoint deck has, you know, 3 or 4 bullets on a page. What I want the you know investors we're talking with to to actually read between those lines and ask good questions. And to me that means that Okay, these, these folks are, are, are very interested. They they understand, you know,
1: why we're passionate about it and they'll probably be there for the long run. Hey, Skip, I think, you know, also we look for the value added too. So what other value? Oh, yeah. F- yeah, what can they bring besides this money? So, you know, can they make introductions? How well connected are they in the industry, partnerships, deals? Even in some cases, you know, can they support clinical trials and manufacturing depending upon the nature of the, you know, the investor? So I always kinda look for, you know, the, the value added. Good point.
0: So far in our conversation today, amongst the three of us, I've noticed the collaboration between the two of you and I think uh, Skip, I think it was you even earlier in the show that referred to uh, both of you as having a partnership over many years. Do you ever disagree? Yeah. So,
1: so, yeah.
2: <laughs> so, so I, I think what was really funny is that, you know, as we were going over this these questions, you know, it was kind of funny. We, we both answered them the same way. As I put in my notes here, you know, we're both stubborn engineers that are both Sagittarians. I, I think our, our, the birth dates are a couple of days apart. And when we were younger, it was, we'd be screaming at each other. And now, uh, you know, after working together for almost 30 years now, maybe maybe more than 30 years, we're pretty mellow. It's like, yeah, you're not worth, you're not worth me raising my voice. <laughs> I'm just going to say it and then walk out. But, um, yeah, we disagree all the time and all the time that's why we work well together. We see things from different sides. And I think what's key and which we actually get a lot of fun out of, and we actually make a, it actually turns into a, you know, a presentation is, you know, we'll walk in the next office, uh, we'll walk into the office the next day and we'll, you know, we'll say, well, you know, we have an announcement to make. Scott was right. I was wrong. I'm sorry okay, it's done. Let's get back to work. <laughs> and it happens to both of us. And it's kind of like, it's like, yeah, that's why we love each other. We just keep going one more day.
0: And Scott, do you agree with what Skip just said?
1: You know, the majority of the time, you know, we are quite a bit older than we were 30 years ago when we first started working together. I think the majority of the time, we probably reach consensus, you know, probably 95% of the time. And then, you know, like I said earlier, you know, not everything can be a consensus decision. So sometimes, you know, maybe, you know, 5% is edict. So,
2: Yeah oh yeah. I I totally agree. I mean it's gotten to the point now that we know each other so that we we're almost in lockstep. We kinda know we both know what has to be done. He doesn't show up for a day, it's not the end of the world. I don't you know, I go on vacation, it's not the end of the world. We know, you know, what has to get done and we we both can make the decisions for each other and we kinda know where the other person's coming from. But you know, it wasn't always that way. And I, I don't think you want a team that's just always deferring. I mean, you want to be challenged. You want the other smarter person in the room to, you know, voice their opinion and convince you that, yeah, there's a possibility that I might be
0: wrong. And when you're looking to build out your team as the two of you have together, many times over the years what else do you look for in that answer skip i heard that you look for people with different perspectives who can work with the two of you to share those perspectives and and reach a conclusion that may be different from your own what what else are you looking for when you're hiring candidates
2: so i think scott brought it up is that the most important thing isn't someone who's a domain expert we don't need that one person who knows that one thing we need flexible folks that can help out in all ways. So, while we're interviewing, I'll be listening intently to pick up on that. And then I also want folks with, you know, interesting hobbies. Uh, I think one of our engineers here that we worked with in the past, she was a a seamstress and would sew these amazing, you know, ball dresses in costumes. It was just fantastic. And, you know, here she is an engineer working on, you know, plastic medical devices. It It was fascinating. And, what happens is you actually see another part of someone's creativity shining all the time, even when it's not uh, anything related to, you know, what they're doing. They always have those different talents to pull from. And I think, you know, that's what I'm looking for when pulling together a team is I want folks that are super flexible and aren't afraid to just
0: have a lot of things thrown at them and pitch in. Interesting points. Scott, how would you describe your management style? as CEO. Yeah.
1: I think it kind of goes back to the relationship with Skip and I I, have, I, mean, I really do try to do a lot of active listening, really listen to different points of view. There's very few things that upset me. You know, kind of going back to that last question, I mean, one thing that does upset me, if someone tells me that's not my job, I find that very upsetting. So it's just people. I, I like people to see when they, they dig in, they try. We celebrate failure. We celebrate success. So consensus, the majority of the time, active listening. And then, you know, to some degree, edict when a decision just has to be made.
0: I'd like to shift the topic of conversation to product development and also cover clinical trials as both of you have been involved with clinical trials, including, as we've talked about today, currently at Suono. What have you learned about the FDA and the process
1: of approving medical devices in the United States? I know it scares a lot of people and it scares a lot of investors, but I, I honestly don't think skip if we ever had a product where we started off down the path and we couldn't get it through FDA. Yeah. I mean with with decent clinical data and you know, you follow the consensus standards for the development, FDA has guidance out for everything. You can't you can't ignore their guidance. You know, meet with the agency. We have people with the agency that we knew they are still there, they've been there for twenty five years. So meet with the agency, you know, discuss what you're planning on doing. You could do, you know, Pre-submissions, Q subs, requests for classifications. There's a whole bunch of different sort of, you know, sort of contextual things you can do with the agency. But essentially, you know, just go to them with a well-thought out submission. You know, the biggest problem I have with FDA is that you'll get buy-in on something, you know, two years ago. And then when you go back to them with a submission, that that team has changed. So now you have to kind of go back and renegotiate. And maybe not everyone on that new team is, is as bought in as the people who were two years ago. So make sure you're, you know, your submissions are abundantly clear. Don't assume, don't assume that you know, reviewers are going to have the same domain knowledge that you may have at a particular area. Uh, you know, just be very clear about your submissions.
2: Yeah, I agree. You've got to be clear. You've got to be super honest. Don't try to snow them. The FDA uh, is a group of very smart people. Over the years, I've been face-to-face with the FDA since the 80s. I've been down to their headquarters at least a half a dozen times and it's it's great how they can pull together so many talented people and i think for me the trick has always been get their fears on the table and don't be afraid to address them and i'm actually the the king of analogies and people are sick and tired of hearing me make analogies about everything but i think with the fda you know a couple of those paid off where you know people maybe Aren't as fully understanding of ultrasonic energy as they should, or maybe they read an article and stuff. So, for me, it was always put our technology in such a way that they could understand it and that it, you know, they don't have any fears about it. And you just talk to them like human beings. Don't worry about being technical or having a script in front of you, but just show them that here's the data, this is what it's like, and this is what we're going to do. And we've addressed all the concerns, you know, what else are you worried about? And they will always give you, you know, at least one of them around the table, will always give you an honest answer or, or, or ask a very tough question. And you can't be afraid to answer it. And then once you can convince them that, okay, these are the good guys, we don't have to worry about them. They'll go out and do what we want. That's, that's, that's your battle. Scott said, though, is like, now you got to go out and do it because if you wait too long, that team may not be there a couple of
0: years from now. So, you know, make sure you're on that path. Good advice. Taking a step back from the interactions with the FDA and the approval process, there's obviously a lot that goes in over an extended period of time to successfully bring a medical device to market. What would you say is the most important part of that process or the most challenging part of that process?
1: It's still a good plan. And so it goes back to what I said earlier, you know, getting a product from a lab into a commercial release is all driven by a good project plan and a good budget. You know, so we still adopt without, you know, going into regulation, but, but 21C 820 quality management systems, we still adopt the waterfall approach where you start with early feasibility and you, you go to design, development, verification, validation, ultimately, you know, transfer to manufacturing. It doesn't mean that, that that waterfall approach can't accommodate like an agile process, which is you know, super important, you know, with devices that have software in them, as actually all of my devices have software in them. So you still follow a structured approach, make sure that you put in place a quality management system that's appropriate for the stage of development. So I think a lot of mistakes that companies make is they go in and they put in some you know convoluted, huge quality management system, that's just inappropriate for a company that's still in early feasibility. And likewise, in the back end too. If mean, you can't be transferring into, you know, doing your submissions with FDA and transferring to manufacturing, if you don't have a really uh, a solid ISO system in place, so that's sort of my take on it, Josh.
2: I think I think you're absolutely right, Scott. Because I think one of the things with you and I is that because we've, well, because we're so old, <laughs> and also because we've worked together for so long, we know what it takes. And for folks who don't know what they don't know. They may embark, oh, we're a medical device. We need to have a full quality system. And then they become shackled by documents. And, you know, it's like, you don't need those now. You only need them, you know, after you're done with the program and you're ready for, you know, manufacturing. At this point, just keep track of only one part of that your your design controls. One of the things that Scott is adamant about is, you know, project plans and, you know, having it all spelled out. And, You know, when we started up this business, the first thing we did on the conference room is take all our timelines and our project plans. And at the time, we had three separate plans and we put them on huge poster boards in our conference room all over the walls. And, you know, it looked like a war room. And it was really great because we didn't have to say anything. It was there on the wall. Everybody knew what they had to do. And we knew what the timeline was. So nobody got stuck in these little eddy currents spinning around chasing their tail. They, you know, it's like, okay, it's time to end that. Let's move on. Like, we've got to make a decision. Like, it doesn't have to be perfect. Let's make a decision and move on because we want to get into the animal lab in two months. Don't waste too much time trying to make it perfect, it'll kill you. Let's just make it so it works.
0: We'll have time to make it perfect before we commercialize. That makes sense. And Skip, you just referred to yourselves as being old. So I think that makes you very well qualified to answer my (laughs) next set of questions. No kidding aside, I'd like to ask you both um, on one final topic on today's show, which is about career. If either of you could go back in time and change one thing about your career, if you could
1: do one thing differently, what would it be? Good, Scott. (laughs) Josh, I wouldn't change anything. I really do love what I do. I'm sorry. I know that's that's not a great answer, but I really don't think I'd change anything.
0: Well, that is a good answer. And Skip, before I get to your answer to that question, I want to ask a follow-up question of Scott, rephrasing the question. If somebody were just starting out in their career in this industry, what advice
1: would you give them based on your own experience? Yeah, make sure you're passionate about what you're doing. So, you know, engineers, we, we love technology and I, I graduated I'm not as old as Skip, so I I I (laughs) (laughs) She's gonna be my several days. (laughs) Graduated back in the eighties, an undergraduate degree, watched computer engineering, and loved, you know, electronics and technology and went to work right out of undergraduate designing warfare systems for Tactical Air Command. And I found that I wasn't passionate about that. I really hated what I was doing. I loved the technology, but you know, don't get hung up on the technology. You know, get hung up on what the end game is and what you're gonna be doing. that's why I really sort of move more to life science, biotech, medtech. That's good advice. And Skip, would you change anything about
0: your career if you could? I would, definitely. So I never
2: respected how valuable mentors would be. I I think I came out of school, might've had a chip on my shoulder and pushed through that I could do everything myself and never was able to find a mentor. Fortunately, you know, I had a couple of great bosses out there. You know, shout out to Reggie and to Thomas. Over the years they were able to, you know, correct me and help me. And in the case of Thomas, I'm still in touch with him, you know, today and I consider him a friend of mine. But I, I think I could have made my life a lot easier. If I would have had you know good mentors and somebody would have stepped in and you know slapped that cocky kid that was in his twenties and said, "Kid, sit down. You got to listen." <laughs> I, I think it would have <laughs> it would help me. It would help me uh, keep some of my hair possibly. And then, <laughs> you know, to your follow up question, uh, you know, what would I tell people? That's I think what Scott said is you know goes without saying. You got to be passionate. For me, it's all about having fun. I. Absolutely, have fun. You know, I take the dogs to work. You know, we we have dog toys everywhere, and it's like it's super casual. But when it comes down to getting the work done, we know how to get the work done. But I, it doesn't mean you you can't have fun with it. And then I would tell folks, you know, find a good mentor, find one that somebody you can lean with that isn't your boss, who's not going to do your review, but can actually tell you that you know what kid you stink. That's not good. You need to straighten up and that you have enough respect for this person that you can, you know, listen to them and take it to heart and not fight. You know, I, I, think, I think as a kid, I was too much of a fighter and uh, I've learned over the years to, to shed that.
0: Well, on the topic of having fun, I could see that both of you have fun working together. I know over the years that the three of us have been working together. I've enjoyed that. And I've certainly had fun today having you both on the show. Thank you both for being here. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate it. we had a lot of fun. And thanks to our audience for listening. Until next time on Client Corner, keep on building.